Hello, I'm Joel Nelson, and this is the Joel vs. Arthritis podcast. Hello, and welcome back, everyone. Um, Thank you for returning. If you've been here before, if it's your first time here, thank you very much for popping along. Really appreciate it. Um, And we've got a really special one tonight because we have finally arrived at the point I've been doing all of this beavering away on Twitch 4, and that was to sort of start moving things over like the podcast. So tonight we're doing our first live um, podcast interview. And as you can now see on screen, I'm delighted to be joined by Debbie Wilson. Debbie, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Joe. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. It's been a busy day, but, <laughs> but I'm glad to be in chat with you. So uh, thank you for joining me. And also thank you for agreeing to be my guinea pig for this one, because like I say, this will be going out as a podcast, but uh, people can be watching it live now on Twitch. And for anyone listening back to this that isn't aware, it's um, twitch.tv forward slash Joel versus arthritis. Um, so Debbie, this has been a long time in the works. This is what happens when you have two people with chronic illness and who live a very busy lives. <laughs> we we <Yes>. finally got <laughs> here. <laughs> we have at last. Yeah, and I don't mind being your guinea pig either. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, and um, so if we just to get get going, like I'm sure a lot of people that will be listening to this have already heard of your amazing work that you're doing everything, but but just introduce us a little bit, um, you know, who, who is Debbie, um, maybe tell us a little bit about your sort of JIA journey or story as well. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm Debbie Wilson. I work for um, the National Rheumatoid Arthritis Society. Um, I've been there about 14 months now. Um, but I came to the role with very personal experience of um, juvenile idiopathic arthritis. Um, I was diagnosed when I was about eight years old. That's many years ago now. Um, and it took a few years to actually get a diagnosis going through so many the GPs, A&E hospitals, um, they just didn't know what was going on. I had very severe swelling and very painful wrists. um, And I was trying to be a gymnast. That was kind of my original, all I ever wanted to be was an Olympian, uh, a gymnast. It didn't unfortunately happen. Um, My wrists were just getting so swollen, so painful and and very weak that I just then couldn't continue. Um, So I got the diagnosis, but that didn't actually mean anything really. Um, this was before internet and everything like that. So there wasn't much information out there um, about what it was and there wasn't really any treatment for me. After so many years of it spreading um, throughout many joints in my hips, my knees, um, my elbows and in my jaw as well, that eventually they put me on steroids. And by this time I was a, a teenager and if you ever know anything about teenage girls and steroids, it's not a good combination. Um, your weight fluctuates, and I did have kind of like the moon face, which was just just horrid. So I hated it, and I had no support in school. Um, it wasn't until I went to university that I actually got amazing support. Um, shout out to the University of Hertfordshire. I must admit they were amazing, and they got me through my degree. Um, and then. Yep, got my degree in statistics and economics, as you do, Um, became a government statistician and senior researcher. Um, Then I had my two kids and then um, wasn't back about five years ago now. um, I got diagnosed with scleritis in my right eye. 
and I went to the GP just thinking it was conjunctivitis even though it wasn't infected but it was just so painful I really just wanted to take my eye out um, and she said um, I needed to go to an eye hospital A&E straight away I didn't know they existed so I had to take myself down to Moorfields Eye Hospital and it was there that they diagnosed that I did have scleritis because I have juvenile arthritis and no one ever told me that it could affect your eyes um, and so it was kind of sort of touch and go with my with my sight um, for many months actually and it took even a few years to get me on biologics um, by this point all my body was flaring as after I sort of went to uni I kind of think I think we've had a, a discussion before where I, we sort of, I stopped going to your rheumatologists because you feel I felt so uncomfortable surrounded by of older people that I just thought and I didn't there wasn't any treatment in a way then either so I just thought oh, what's the point I just get on with it and so yeah with my whole body flaring and my eyes I actually saw a rheumatologist um yeah about five years ago who then put me on methotrexate um that didn't work for me and again steroids which was just horrendous um and then, yeah, a couple of years into that, they eventually got me on biologics. Um, methotrexate made me neutropenic. So I was very ill for quite a while. And then, yeah, biologics, an absolute game changer. Um, touch wood at the moment, they've saved my eyesight. Um, but then just after I got on the biologics, um, my daughter, who was 11 at the time, she got diagnosed with juvenile idiopathic arthritis as well. So there's now both me and I'm a parent of a child with it as well. So it's, it's, it's all fun and games here. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much to pick apart there. And then the whole time I'm Please not in the way. Please do, thinking, any questions. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking there's just so many similarities. And, and, and just start with the first point is that it's such a shame that you hear so often about how many things people have to go through before they get to anywhere near that diagnosis with arthritis as a young person. And, and, and it's so sad. It's like, you know, I had the same experience that I had to have it in several joints and, and mine never showed on x-rays and blood tests. And I still rarely get much sort of movement on a blood test today. Um, but yeah, that, that for me is the heartbreaking bit because I don't know about you. And I don't know how, how strong you must be to then also have a child because I'm lit my son is two coming up to three and I'm literally looking every day I don't mean to but if he says his knee hurts or his foot hurts you're just paranoid about it um but those sort of younger years and that did did arthritis how long was it before arthritis actually got mentioned or, or was there like a long list of other things that they were sort of ticking off um I think that it was mentioned I think quite early on from what I can sort of remember um I think my mum will probably remember more but it was just kind of but even then I kind of thought even when they did mention it they were like well there's nothing we can do about it that's all the doctors ever sort of ever said as all I really remember is that they well there's nothing we can do about it you've got to learn to live with it live with the pain live with the swelling and and that's it so I, I, I suppose I just kind of, you know, being a kid, being diagnosed with it, you don't know any different, really. You just know that you have to, you know, get on with it and you learn to adapt and become resilient to it. But it, it takes a few years. Um, I did grieve that I couldn't become my Olympic gymnast. I couldn't become the dream that I really wanted. Um, but then I turned my passion actually into um, playing the piano. Um, my, actually, my granddad bought me a piano. And actually, looking back, 
that was probably the best physio <coughs> I could have got with my wrists. I actually got to sort of grade eight standard. Um, but no one then even said about physio either. They said, if you're in pain, if you're so, you rest, relax, you don't do anything, which when you're obviously in the most extreme pain, it is fine. But actually, it's learning to do the physio and do the exercise and everything to keep your muscles strong in order to protect your joints. But I was never told that either. So it was kind of, you learn by trial and error. Um, yeah. I sort of did looking back. But yes, it's, it, yeah, it, it was tough. But me, I, I, you have to get through it really like, like yourself Joel <laughs> well must be that that bit you said about the the mus muscular sort of support around the joints I didn't find out until I was 35 I literally because I'd done so much sport when I then had a major flare I couldn't I was so used to overcoming flares really quickly that when I then couldn't and I suddenly was inactive for a year I didn't realize why I was having all these secondary issues and yeah I, was, I think I was 35 when a physio explained that to me and I had arthritis since I was 11 and you can see now why knowing that they they bang the drum so much about remaining active and sort of doing what you can do um but you mentioned resilience there and I think that's a really key word it's something I talk about a lot because it sounds like our experiences are slightly different because I'm almost like the flip in that I remember being so much more resilient as a child and it's kind of as an adult where I'm sort of doing that, that old grieving thing. Maybe it's just because I, I don't know, I guess at the stage I got it, I, I hadn't sort of formed the same sort of dreams that you had. And, you know, I've always been one of those type of people. I do 101 things, and try everything and never really commit to anything. And maybe <laughs> arthritis plays part in that. Um, but yeah, so I, I found it was it was like that much later and 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 just things rolled off me as a kid. Like I'm sure it did with you with a lot of things and you, 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 you get on with it. But I don't think that's always the healthiest long term, is it? Them sort of things end up catching up with you eventually yeah I, I i think i think they do um and they kind of did with me it was very weird it was very much like history repeating itself with my daughter because she loved gymnastics and she is she was so good at it but then she then couldn't keep doing what she wanted to do because her hands were again her wrists were very sore and it was just like please it can't it can't be again um a second generation please don't um but then it was but then actually it was very for me that was that was more heartbreaking i think because she couldn't do it um knowing because i just felt the overwhelming guilt and oh my gosh this is all my fault how you know how could i have children and put this on her but actually the treatments have changed over the years and her being on biologics so much quicker it really has helped and you now she can sort of go and do sort of the back flips and things like that when she wants to now teenager it's a bit different <laughs> But she can do it if, if she wanted to. And it's just yeah. seeing that is so, that kind of makes it kind of slightly worthwhile knowing how things have changed over the years and she doesn't have to go through what I went through, which is, would have been my absolute worst nightmare. Yeah, and and, and that's, that's, a, that's a big step forward, isn't it? Because I remember when I was like 12, my, my parents getting the big talk is, and maybe it's something we can come on to that whole, you know, I felt a lot of the time I was talked through. I, it wasn't really, then conversations weren't aimed at me. That was aimed at my parents and I'm sort of trying to take it all in. And, um, and I kept hearing about these, you know, these miracle drugs were coming and there was this thing that was coming and, and they never put a name on it like biologics, but it was this thing on the horizon and, and I remember them kept reminding me when I was a teenager fed up of being sick on me for Trexate and all these other things that they were sort of throwing at me. And I don't know, every now and then I still catch myself thinking, wow, that 
that actually did happen because I, I remember at the time being really skeptical as a teenager just thinking yeah all right whatever you're you're just trying to get me to keep putting one foot in front of the other sort of thing with this dangling this hope in front of me but I found um yeah that that really blew my mind because I sort of had a period in my early 20s where it all went away and I went into full remission and then when I come back there was suddenly that that option so it must be so much more reassuring for parents and that to see them much earlier in that in that process mm, yeah i wasn't even on methotrexate or anything as as a, as a teenager at all all i literally all i was ever told is get on with it you know you've learned how to live with it so far there's nothing else we can do um which probably in hindsight wasn't wasn't 100 percent true um there was methotrexate around um, and there were other sort of DMARDs coming out as well, but no one ever spoke to me about anything. I think I heard vaguely there was something that could kind of stop it spreading, but I assumed that that was if you had recently got diagnosed, then then there might be something. But because I had it for so many years beforehand, I just assumed that I wouldn't even be eligible for it. So I didn't really look into it or give it much thought. So I just I really did assume that this would be me for life um, when yeah. I had flares. It, it used to last a couple of weeks. Um, I remember going to Wimbledon. I had tickets for Wimbledon, um, the tennis, because I, I love Wimbledon and I love tennis. Um, but I was on crutches. But then being on crutches, when you've got arthritis in your hands, um, and I couldn't obviously walk, so it was helping my knees, but then my hands were just so sore as well. And I, I, I refused to go in a wheelchair. So it's like, no. And, and you couldn't at that time very easily either, because the centre court, you've got so many stairs that no one would have been able to, to have brought me up there. So it was kind of, yeah, it, looking back, you just don't realise actually, yeah, things thankfully have changed. But at the time it was just, it was, it, yeah, you just got through it really. Yeah. That's kind of and listen to you speak as well as quite interesting about how like as well, our experiences have been different in terms of how the support changes over the years, because I often talk about, yeah, I'm very lucky with I've had the same rheumatologist since I was 14 and he's he's he's, yeah. he's well renowned and you know we clash a bit more now because <laughs> I advocate for myself and stand up and but all as a child he was exactly he was the perfect person for it and he threw everything at it and it was like admitting me for a month and I'd have intensive hydrotherapy every day and and I didn't yeah. enjoy it but the whole point was right we'll try all these drugs and if it doesn't work you're here and that's a good job because I had a couple of allergic reactions um but it was it, you felt like a guinea pig but you would come out of it after doing like three or four weeks of hydro, day-to-day -day hydro and, and this sort of thing. And it felt like there was this big support bubble. And then I became an adult and there wasn't. So my first flare as an adult was like, oh, um, who do I speak to? And you're sort of trying to get an appointment and it'd be six months away and then nobody would offer any physio and nobody would offer hydro and all this sort of stuff. Um, whereas you're sort of like the flip of that, haven't you? It was kind of like they've told you as a child, get on with it. <laughs> and then yeah, you start to get the help later. <laughs> yeah, I was never given anything um, at all. No, I saw... Um, a rheumatologist. I didn't really. I don't think I ever really saw a paediatric rheumatologist either. I saw someone um, in the hospital where I grew up, um, and she was. I think she kind of had like an interest in paediatrics, um, and she was the only one that ever put me on. She was the one that put me on steroids, um, and that and that was it. So I, I never, yeah, had no support at all from from schools or from the hospitals, GPs. The medical profession really didn't support me at all um and even now shall we say it's 
put it this way i'm glad my daughter she has the support um yeah. and everything that i'd rather she had it than i did at the moment and and that's just that's fine how it, how it will work um i know the rheumatology um, units are very overstretched and they're so overworked at the moment um but they did i think it's because it was in my eyes that they got me on the biologics quicker yeah. than they probably would ever have done um because i, I you know i had two kids to look after and i and i need i need my eyesight it was yeah. it was a huge shock um knowing that because of you've had juvenile arthritis that you could then lose your eyesight I was just like, yeah. What is yeah again because i didn't have the support that no one ever told me that that could happen so yeah, so, thankfully, you don't have it in your eyes, do you? No, well, I've had a couple of questionable ones, and then that's gone away right. after. Um, so basically, I got the big talk about uveitis and everything, and I do wonder about how much of my support was because I had a sort of, I was originally, well, I was diagnosed with JIA at 12, and then ankylosing spondylitis at 14. And looking back, right. I think a lot of the exceptional treatment I got was because they were working on the basis I had AS and my spine you know getting it that young my spine would have been horrendous by by this age and then found out sort of literally right at the start of the pandemic I was like whatever happened no one mentions that anymore and oh yeah we got that one wrong it was the psoriatic because like with psoriatic arthritis and psoriatic associated JIA there's a lot of them similarities in the areas that get affected. And um, so I don't blame anyone for that, but I did get that big talk about uveitis and you must go to a &E as soon as you get a stinging in the back of your eye or you get red eyes. And um, recently saw an eye doctor and there is a little bit of scar in there. So his, his theory is at some point, one of those false alarms was right. that, but they used to throw the steroids and everything at you anyway, just in case. So you never really knew because it cleared up so quickly. Um, okay. but, but there are so many of these parts that people don't know. It's like the um, the classic one was in the summer. I'd done an Instagram post about, oh, just a reminder that um, a lot of the drugs we take make your skin sensitive to the sun and you burn easier. I was like, inundated yeah. with people who didn't know that. And, you know, like, really? like self-assalatine that I've been on since I was 12 is like a big one. You know, I burn yeah. more easily when I'm on that. And, and I was recently um, involved in a focus group around biologics and we were saying the need to have regular educational sort of checkpoints with patients because i don't know about your experience but you know the first time you go on it they throw all this information and you have your chest scans and your blood scans and everything's like made very serious for you but five years later you've forgotten it can lower your body temperature and mask a fever you've forgotten that maybe that's why you get so many infections you know etc cetera, etc cetera. um yeah. And I think there really is that need for, um, sorry, I'm preaching. I should be interviewing you. No, no, no. <laughs> honestly, no, it's fine. It's good to hear this. I, I, I like it. But, but I don't know about you. What, what Like with your with biology, presumably you've got all the big talks and how you've got to live this perfect life and everything. And then over time, you just forget all of those warnings. I think they should be reminded, you know, for everyone's benefit. But Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I Yeah, obviously I had someone come around and kind of give you the talk while they kind of show you how to administer it to you um um and yeah and kind of the things that you know you need to be very careful about sort of food poisoning and things like that yeah. as well that you can't eat you know certain cheeses and things like that which i must i think i don't really eat cheese in a way <laughs> but that doesn't bother me but it, i must admit i would kind of forget um and when i did um the walk the charity walk that i did with them um, my, my best mate lindsay um back in june it was one of the hottest days of the year <laughs> and we're both well we both have jaa and i'm on biologics and i kind of 
kind of forgot after I was like oh gosh I need to be in the shade um and thankfully we did then find most of the walk in the shade but it's because yeah we do I do burn a lot easier than than I sort of used to thankfully my skin actually you probably can't tell in the zoom but it can sort of I can look quite sort of Mediterranean in in the sun um but it does just go a lot browner and a lot darker quicker but obviously you just need a lot more protection but as you say you know even if it's just twice you know once or every other year just kind of just give you kind of the educational side of it all again because as you say you do forget you know you you life goes on and you know you don't let your JIA actually define you um it's a part of you but it will never define you so you kind of do easily forget some of the things I totally forgot about the eggs and cheese one so that came up like five years after I'd been on biologics and I just totally forgot all I could think about was um the one was the guy was like how many how many units of alcohol do you drink and I was like maybe two two drinks at a weekend that's too much I was like all right okay <laughs> I think he was he was over strict but um but yeah the, the one like the food ones and it's amazing how many people out there don't know about that being careful with you know like you know it's almost a bit like with, with pregnant women and not having that sort of homemade mayonnaise things like that that, that same sort of thing applies and people don't don't realize it um but it's amazing that they're there. But I think people have got to remember to respect it because I think with like me for Trek say, it's really easy to remember because it makes you nauseous and oh. you know the hair thinning and all that. Is you you are constantly reminded the type of medicine that is. But biologics is, um, can be dangerous, and I found it with especially during the COVID because my body temperature is always like I'm like thirty five nine. 36 at a push if i ever get anywhere near 37 i've basically got a fever so i'll be saying to my wife i'm shaking i'm sort of you know got sweats and i'll be full-blown feeling flu-y but the thermometer will never say 37 or above and and that's where it gets dangerous you know because you can play those things down can't you um yeah i must admit being on biologics i don't know about you but i have had so many chest infections mm -hmm. it seemed since i started on it Every time I had a cold, I had a full on chest infection. Yeah. And oh my gosh, you then f forget that you kind of just walking up the stairs, you get out of breath and you just feel rubbish. And it's then going to get the antibiotics and it's, and then you have to stop your meds as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just some part and parcel of it, but no one really ever tells you. So mine's <laughs> always ear, ear, nose. I'll start with like an ear, nose, throat thing, and then it inevitably ends up on my chest. And I'm asthmatic as well, which then brings this second thing. Um, but I yes. think that's why I found the last year so worrying because I know mm. with my situation, I don't see in my rheumatologist. I think isn't going to change anything. They're not going to. You know, they're not not going to tweak anything or anything like that. And I'm not crying out for help. But it's why I find it so dangerous that I haven't seen a biologics nurse in nearly 18 months. I haven't seen a rheumatologist in over a year because you're on these nice. things that can give you yeah. prolonged and and you will know very prolonged infections sometimes. It'll feel like you've got a chest or an ear or something infection hanging around for weeks at a time during a pandemic. So it feels like that's when we should be monitoring people on these drugs even more um then that that's the bit that that worries me is uh, um i you and i we, we advocate for ourselves and we're well clued up on this stuff but i also remember it wasn't that long ago when i really wasn't and i you know done all the wrong things on my medicine and lived a completely wrong lifestyle and everything else um so yeah i find that find that a concern like how's it been as a as somebody um you know as a parent of somebody who's on biologics during the last year or so that couldn't have been fun um 
not really um because i think we're both only on biologics um so uh, my daughter wasn't actually i think part of the shielding but i was i had letters say you know i had to shield and obviously we we're very careful um with my daughter as well and you know during the first lockdown it wasn't too bad um i think because the weather was nice and it was sunny in the evenings we used to go out because we have a dog we had to take her out every day but we took her out late in the evening and that was actually really nice um and it didn't really kind of affect us that much it was, it was more kind of the second lock and third lockdown sort of, sort of around this time last year when it's just you know even looking out now it's so dark and so cold yeah that then we kind of really did realize that actually yeah we do need to be slightly careful we, just because of all the you know we always get ill around sort of christmas and when it gets colder as well so we were trying to be extra careful um and thankfully we were it all sort of seemed to go fine but she did actually get covid about a month ago now mm-hmm. um and that was that was hard that was really hard actually we're having her having covid and knowing i couldn't hug her she yeah. was in her room for 10 days and the first two days she really wasn't well at all um i think we were facetiming um all the time just to see how she was but then she just yeah, i could hear her coughing and it was just i just as a mum you just want to go yeah, and just give her a hug to say it's all going to be fine it's going to be fine and not like leaving her the dinner outside you know her door making yeah it was it was strange but she's but she's fine now actually um after about five days she kind of got through it all and i think it it shows that children um we we, we know that children are very un, very likely unlikely to get ill with covid and even if they they do get it they're not going to be that ill um yeah. and yeah my daughter's shown that she didn't she did have she did have one vaccination just before she got it um but yeah i think it's just showing that children do get over it a lot quicker um less likely to get it um but yeah it's it's, it's us as adults because our immune systems are so different now yeah um that we're the ones that have to be more careful even though yeah we're on the same medication it's, it's quite it's quite strange yeah, and i didn't i don't know about you i didn't enjoy that feeling of almost being like in a weird way fearful of my own child <laughs> like because like i'd done the shield and thing for the first five months and i was told after august like from a well-being point of view i just like just walk your dog so from i think it was when that ended at the start of august or whenever it was last year feels like years ago now um i started doing the dog walk so therefore from then dylan could go back to nursery and and even though he was only in a bubble that was like of other nhs and key workers and everything else that first couple of times you brought him back home and you're thinking well you come home nearly every week with a runny nose or something at the moment Uh, you know just feeling Mm -hmm. like there could be a threat there i just really didn't sit well with me it was a really weird and sort of alien feeling you know yeah yeah um when when we first told you know first told about it we've got the you probably obviously assumed you got the shielding letters as well they weren't very nicely worded really kind of reading between the lines was like if you want to go outside that's fine but you might die <laughs> it was quite scary yeah. um and we were kind of thinking they were sort of i think when it obviously sort of first properly kicked off they were still in school for a bit and they took a while i think for then the schools to close and it's like well do, do we get them to strip off do we get them just to you know sanitize themselves yeah. before they actually enter the house it was quite that was quite scary looking back you kind of completely forget now um and i think as both of us were sort of on the um side of caution a lot more we we actually struggled to get food we had, i actually got the government parcel food yeah. delivery um and it wasn't until 
I think about the third week of lockdown, um, that I, my daughter came up to me because mum, we've got a delivery. And I was like, well, I haven't ordered anything. But it was it was the government food parcel, and actually yeah. that was that was a lifesaver because we really when you heard some really horrid stories about you know social distancing, not many people wearing masks in the supermarkets near where we live, and we were just we were just quite paranoid. Um, and most of our friends, um, the ones that are still sort of single, we couldn't go and ask them to kind of go and do a, a massive family of four food shop for us. So. We really sort of did struggle to get food, but actually the, the food parcel was quite good. It made us more inventive in, in, in our food. Um, but yeah, but it was just then the amount of times you had to empty the dishwasher. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so many times. I think that was kind of just like my full-time job at that point. It was so, so bizarre. Um, and yeah, they needed feeding constantly. Um, but then thankfully I did get um, a, a supermarket uh, priority delivery, um, right, which, yeah. which I now still get. I don't really even go to supermarkets that much just because, well, thank yeah with the omicron variant now it's just like no i'll stick with my food being delivered it's quite good actually and it probably saves you money in the long run because you don't go around going oh my i'll get that yeah I'll get that. I'm, I'm not allowed anywhere near the online shop and booking now because <laughs> i think my wife realizes how many things i was just grabbing off shelves that i didn't need to before <laughs> so yeah that's, with, with everything else going up that definitely helps <laughs> yeah. um, I'm, I'm keen to move on to the work you do because i'm also conscious that mm. you know um I think you and I, we went for a hell of a lot with the pandemic, I think, but probably a lot of people are seen to death of it by now. Um, yes. So with with your role at NRAS, do you want to just explain mm. um, a little bit about what that is? And then I think we probably know the motivation, but what drew you to that as as well? Yeah, well, I think it probably, it probably actually comes out from lockdown because I wasn't working, um, thankfully. Um, I was you know a full-time mum looking after both kids and actually when so when my daughter got diagnosed with um ja it is kind of you don't realize the amount of appointments they have it is so overwhelming um it's great that they now have the multidisciplinary team so they have the physios and everything like that but it's just so much um on parents to kind of thank yeah thankfully i wasn't working otherwise i've just been in the hospitals constantly um so kind of then throughout lockdown it was like actually what do i want to do with my life you know i i don't want i didn't want to go back and kind of do the civil service thing that i did before so it was kind of i before that i got involved i got in touch with nras um i did actually apply for kind of like a trustee role but thank i i didn't get it and i think it was probably fate that i didn't um and so i was just thinking actually you know i want to help people what do i know most things of arthritis um and i wanted to kind of do something where i could actually make a difference to people um and actually after having that trustee role claire i then emailed claire to say um the, the ceo of nras um instead about being an ambassador it's like great no problem um sent her an email saying oh, can you send me some more information and she's like, actually could you apply for um this role and it's the young person's project coordinator so it's sort of managing sort of the JAA side but also young people's um, side as well because when you're sort of 16 17 you get diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis not juvenile arthritis um, and obviously that must be really hard for anyone being diagnosed with RA at that time of life um, and so I applied and yeah hence I, I got the job um, so I did start in September 2020. Um, I met 
all of my, near enough all my colleagues online, which was quite bizarre and quite strange, especially then when you go and see them in person for the first time about six months later. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of my main motivation. I really want to make sure that, you know, children and adults also with JIA that don't have to go through the journey that I did. And there is medication out there now, whether you were told, you know, kind of different, obviously different from you, Joel, but when I was told that, you know, there wasn't any medication or anything like that, people st still might not realise that there is some. Yeah. And so you don't have to suffer in silence, in pain. Go and see a GP, go see, you know, they will refer you to a rheumatologist and there is different treatment out there now. Um, and one of the first main projects I did at NRAS when I started was actually doing the new um, medicines in juvenile idiopathic arthritis. It's a booklet that we've got. And I was so keen. And when we did a focus group, it was very obvious that we actually needed to explain the JAA journey. It is a journey. It is even before you get the diagnosis, it can be a, a long journey to get there. But even when you do, there is, as I said, you have the multidisciplinary team, but it's also as a parent, it's very different experience, you know, learning all about the different medications, how long they take, how you actually administer medications. I have to, I, I used to, I, um, my daughter now does it, but learning how to inject your child, it's, it's not a natural thing at all um, and it's learning how to do that and also learning that actually as hard as it is what are the benefits for them their outcomes now children are so much better than ever but they need to get that diagnosis quickly otherwise they can get you know long-term damage which we don't want but it's just trying to get more people aware that actually children do get it these are the symptoms to account for and you know speak to your gp they can then refer you to the rheumatologist and even if it's not fine it could be something else um, my other daughter has hypermobility so i actually had both of my children in great ormond street at the same time when one of them was diagnosed with it and the other one was diagnosed with hypermobility um but there is different treatment out there now and there is the, the physios um so they can do most things in life actually that if they really want to do they probably can do it now so that's why i'm there um and that was yeah one of the first projects i did and then learning it was quite also a good learning experience for me learning all about the different medications that there are whereas all i ever told was steroids there's so many and it's and it's great and there's even more coming out on the market as well which is which is fantastic there's so much research going on um out there so it's kind of yeah we're getting there, I think. There, there might not be a cure in my lifetime, but at some point, maybe. I, I don't know, the rate is going, but but yeah, you're right, because we have such a narrow window of experience as patients, don't we? You know what I mean? Like, you know, the only reason I know about so many different treatments, because it took me so long to get to something that worked. But if if you are literally yeah. given something and your symptoms die down, you're not going to know. And and you're right to flag that, because the, the goalposts are always moving. And I always think a good example of that is like the name and convention change. Don't ask me for dates or anything or when that happened. But, you know, when I was a kid, it was JIA. And then there was a little few window of, of like a year, a couple of years where it was sciatic arthritis. And then a couple of years later, I was sciatic associated JIA. I said, like, well, make your mind up. And, and you see yes. it online all the while with people that have had like arthritis from the age of three. And they say they've got RA. 
which we know is yeah. now would technically be classed yeah, but it's that misinformation or as like in my case yes. with the AS, you get told something, nobody ever comes back and tells you it's changed. And, and and the medicine side is exactly the same, that unless something goes wrong that you need to look at other options, how would you know? Um, so it's a really important point about trying to reach people that um, don't know that, that that option's out there. I do find it hilarious, by the way, that somebody is so good at their job stumbled into it for after applying for something else. <laughs> so, <laughs> because I know when I first <laughs> when I first got into all of this, trustee was like the first thing that sprang to my mind, and and that mm-hmm. and and I think that's a you're you must be a huge inspiration for people to see all the positive change and impact that you are having in your role, and that that sort of is a good advert isn't it that you can get involved you can do more and be more hands-on um because I don't know if like trustee was your first thought but when I first started thinking I want to get involved it was literally the first thing I thought of but um yeah it was well where NRAS is based it's not actually that near me and I kind of thought well if I can be somehow involved in the charity that'd be great um and I yeah I thought you know they were advertising for it and i just thought oh, off a whim what why not you never know um and you know i'd be able to go there what quarterly that's fine um but then you know then when i was kind of going through the interview for it I actually thinking i don't really want to do this it seems a lot of work what did i know but, um, but <laughs> so yeah you, so you jumped <laughs> into what you're doing <laughs> knowing how many sort of fingers in pies you've got at the moment and plates you're spinning um oh, yeah that, that might have been like felt like semi-retirement in comparison <laughs> i think it would actually yes yeah i might put that in <laughs> but yeah no it's yeah it is a full-on job i must admit it's um but i'm i am very passionate about it and i really do want to make a difference um and you know that's the meds booklet was kind of like my first project um and it's also i've updated the schools booklet because i know how hard it can be to um get the schools to really understand well anyone anyone to understand what jia is but let alone the schools and it's it's very tough as a parent because you send you know your most treasured thing in life your child to the school and you trust them implicitly because you have to um but when they do have jia and when it's sort of fluctuating trying to get the school sometimes to understand that that even though they're on medication and that you know generally you know they can be fine but something can cause a flare and we don't know what causes a flare you know it can be stress it can but it can be just it just happens and trying to get them to understand that actually yeah, they can run around and do PE last week, but at the moment they can't really walk that well. Yeah. They don't fully understand that. And in the new sort of book, it's just trying to just give a few sort of hints and tips to teachers, parents and schools and to children as well. Cause I'm also very keen on trying to empower children to actually really fully understand what is going on with their body. Um, you know, the, they go through some of the teenagers and they learn, you know, different things do happen because you can see different things happening to your body. But actually, it's it's a disease that you do need to learn to control, um, to be empowered to take over control um, from your parents. You know, your parents will be the ones who are going to all the appointments and the doctors will talk to them. But actually, it comes a point where you need to take control and you don't want to then just be left at this one appointment on your own with no support you need to kind of feel empowered near enough from the off i feel um to, yeah so they can understand what it is so that's kind of also what i'm quite keen on when i did um 
the Wear Purple Week, one of my favourite Facebook lives was getting children asking the healthcare professional questions. And one of them, are one of the boys in it, he, he was so, so good. Um, it was just trying to show that doctors are humans. Yeah. Don't be scared of them. You know, they want to help you. But in order to help you, you have to be honest. But you, in order to be that honest, I feel you have to feel empowered to actually talk about it. And if you do that, then you kind of get that sort of two-way conversation going a lot more. But it is hard. No one ever tells you how to talk to a doctor. You know, no. you, when you go to school, you you impress the teachers. But doctors, yeah, they want to be impressed. But they don't. They want to know exactly how you're feeling. And yeah. that is so hard to talk about. No one yeah. ever talks about it. No, and I think as well in our society, you know, as, as, as a, somebody who was a, a young man going to university with arthritis and, and taking medicine, he didn't really understand, you know, the easiest option for me was to hide it and and try and not be judged on it. Um, so then when you go into a room with a sort of well-decorated doctor, professor, whoever, and who's also a man, and then you, you're brought up your entire life not to talk about your problems as a, as a bloke and then you're facing a, a person of authority who's also, and that's the bit I, I really struggled with um and the other bit of me as well like I mentioned earlier that switch from you're not part of the conversation to suddenly you are because you're an adult and you've got to advocate for yourself and and, and I think that the really positive thing is as we're seeing in our lifetime that corner turning because when I was younger I very much got the impression they didn't really want you to speak, you know, it's as much we're going to tell you what's yeah. happening. You tell us what's wrong. We're going to tell you what we're going to do. But it was never like it's two way. But now I can sit there and I can say, well, if I start that treatment, you know, classic example of starting a family. You know, I, I told them I wanted to get off one and onto another drug because that affected, you know, our ability to conceive and things like that. Yeah. Then conversations happen now. But like you say, it's having the confidence to to do the sort of jump off point for the patient to start start those conversations unfortunately isn't it? i think doctors can help mm. but we've got to empower people to um to yeah give the we, bigger picture. yeah we, we really do um and i must admit probably like you i never really spoke about having arthritis as, as a as a child um even in my schools uh, they knew about it but i never really kind of sort of spoke about it to anyone because what was the point really um it was just me it's just how it was um but yeah i think things have changed and i think sometimes actually i think we found last year with um the young voices panel that we have at nras um there's sort of around sort of 16 sort of to 25 year olds that have either ja or ra that actually felt that was so useful to them during lockdown because they were shielding and not many of their friends sort of knew why they were shielding. They actually then had a community where actually they could be themselves and actually talk about. It's like, oh, I have that as well. And trying to get, you know, get in touch with your rheumatologist and things. Everyone was sort of going through similar things and they sort of then sort of had similar stories as well. And it was just so nice to then hear those conversations. Um, and this is where, you know, we then can make a difference and we do, we do have to talk about it. It's not, I, you know, and some of the meetings and everything that I go to, it's, arthritis isn't as sexy. It's not. It's really not. <laughs> but it's. But it is what it is. And it's not the old people's disease. It's not the osteoarthritis. It is the autoimmune disease that we have. And if COVID has proven anything, it shows how complex our immune systems are. Yeah. They can't 
cure it. In, COVID causes inflammation in the lungs, hence why our rheumatologists were moved to sort of more frontline because they know about inflammation. Yeah. But we don't know why, you know, some people get COVID more worse than others, why some people have RA worse than others and JA worse than others. There's so much more research to go out there, but it just shows our immune systems are so complex. Um, but we have to start talking about these invisible illnesses. If we don't, who else will? So, yeah, yeah. You know, um, no one else will. <laughs> no, that's to. true. And also, you don't always have to understand it to improve things. I always, I used to use, I don't so much now, but I used to use the example of how we don't understand how paracetamol lower temperature, but it does. So we take it. Do you know what I mean? And that, and yeah. so when I'd, I'd get challenged about when I used to be really unwell on something like me for Trek, saying, well, why do you do it? Well, if somebody, an employer would maybe say, well, you keep getting these infections from the drug. Why don't you just stop taking it? It's like, don't even get me started on that. No. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, that is that that lack of understanding. I think people are more open to, to those discussions now. Um, mm. One thing I wanted to to, to get onto because I appreciate um, you know my experience as a as a kid with NRAS is that it was an RA charity and whenever I sort of reached out to get support I felt kind of out of place as a kid with JIA obviously fairly recently you've got the sort of JIA side of NRAS did you just for anyone that doesn't understand that and how how you can help people with JIA now sort of more than mm. ever how that works or where that came from and what what the differences are yeah, well, NRAS is now 20 years old. We've literally just had our 20-year um, anniversary, and it wasn't back until, I think it was 2013, 2014, that um, they took on sort of the JIA side of it. Um, and I've been there, yeah, just over about 14 months, sort of taking over sort of that side of it. We, you know, we do have a website which has so much more information um, about it, but there are many differences between JA and RA. Um, JA is kind of any sort of um, arthritis, and there's sort of seven different types. Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember them all, but they're all on That's the That's not JA a test, don't worry. <laughs> That's all right. I was going to say, I was fail <laughs> massively. Um, yeah, so there, there's seven different types of, of JIA and it all comes, comes under that umbrella. Um, so kind of, but it's, it's, it's sort of, it stems from kind of sort of, um, sort of swelling um, and rashes and things like that. So if your child is going through that, you know, just look on our website, see what there is. And if you're, if you're worried as a parent, your instincts know, know best, you know, speak to your GP. Um, but with RA, it is just the rheumatoid, not just, obviously, it's a horrid, horrid disease. It is rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and that kind of does affect more, I think it's sort of more middle-aged sort of, um, people more, but it can affect um, people from, sort of, as I said before, from the ages of 16 plus. Um, so we do have children, uh, young adults in our sort of young voices who have um, RA, they were diagnosed with it sort of in their late teenage years. Um, RA is is for life. Um, for JIA, it's about fifty percent um, of children will have it um, forever. Uh, I think obviously Joel, you and I will will both have that for life now. Um, so there's some other differences. And with the medication side, with um, adults, all kind of medication gets trialed on adults first before they ever get trialed on um, trialed on children. 
So there will be more medications for rheumatoid arthritis, which will then slowly move down to sort of those on with juvenile arthritis as well. Hence, by sort of the biologics, there's more sort of biological and JAK inhibitors for RA than there is for JIA, but hopefully that will then swing down towards the JIA side as well. Um, but then there are people, um, adults with, with JIA, which is very different to adults with RA. Um, I don't know about you, Joel, but I'm now living the consequences of having juvenile arthritis for over 30 odd years. Um, I'm now developing osteoarthritis um, in my spine um, and I might have osteoporosis It's more in my hips because I was on steroids for so long. As a child, there's different consequences um, of being on these sort of medications and having this illness in your body for so many years that it's not until you kind of come into, I won't tell you my age, but later on, sort of in life, that actually these things then manifest itself um, differently. Um, so there are different consequences of it all, but they're mainly, you know, inflammatory arthritis um, diseases, um, which is why I've also made sure that the new sort of online, the joint together groups that we've got, they're sort of our peer-to-peer -peer support groups. Um, they're all online and they're under the NRAS website. So it's nras.org.uk forward slash joint together with a capital T. All the groups that we've done are for inflammatory arthritis. So I do not want to exclude any adults with JIA either. So we've got some of the back to um, it's, uh, exercise and back to sport, I think. Um, parenting with inflammatory arthritis. Um, we do have our JIA parent group as well, parent carer groups. So if you're a parent um, of a child with JIA, please do get in touch and come along to sort of some of our groups. There's sort of monthly, I think all the groups are monthly, just different times. Check out our social media as well for sort of the different um, times of the groups. And actually next Saturday the 18th, we're opening the JA one up to the families so children can see other children with JA and do sort of Christmas. It's a Christmas thing going on, so yeah. kind of Christmas jokes, Christmas bakes and things like that. So that's what we, we have there, but I have made sure that it will include all those adults with um juvenile arthritis and adults with um rheumatoid arthritis as well so i have made sure that that's that we're including we're trying to include more people yeah. than exclude and i think i think it's a really important point because like i say when i i went from just not talking about my arthritis for so many years and therefore i didn't look for help but then when i did start looking for help and a bit like you were saying as you get older so for me it's the whole I got so used to being able to shake off flares. Like I could almost run them off in a weird way. So I'd have like a couple of days or weeks, but because I was always fit and healthy. But once I went past that sort of threshold of, okay, it's been several weeks, I've put on a little bit of weight, the muscle tone has got, that was then just it. And I, it was almost like a battle I lost overnight. Um, and you suddenly wake up one day, you're oh, okay, I need to get help for this now. And that, that old tactic of just getting on that didn't work. And I think, you know, my head nearly exploded when I saw what NRAS was doing with JIA stuff, because I say as a kid, that just wasn't, I remember being given the flyers yeah. and everything else. And, and you know, you can go on other well-known charities' websites today and it won't smack you in the face for the JIA, you know, and that's something I've been sort of trying to get changed. Mm -hmm. So um, I think what you're doing is absolutely invaluable and, and them support groups, because they just weren't there, you know, being completely blunt, I went to one when I was about 14, 15, and it was, you know, village hall sit down with a lot of elderly people, 
chatting about what they were doing at the weekend and it, it, it wasn't a support group you know if anything it was a window into my future that I really didn't need to see and yeah, yeah. I get that <laughs> <laughs> so, so the fact that you've now got all of these Facebook groups you know and I know there's that really good one for for people with JA or inflammatory arthritis that are parents that your child doesn't have mm. to have it and everything and that's a fantastic support network and yeah so I, I can't stress enough anyone watching this or listening to this who hasn't reached out just to you know head over to the NRAS website and have a look because there is no sort of we're getting at that point where there is something for everyone isn't there oh completely yeah um yeah and I've really kind of we've tried to make sure that there is I think you know um yeah covid has made actually things online but actually we don't have the geographical barriers anymore you don't have to go out at night you can actually sit at home in your comfy pjs under a blanket <laughs> but still you know talk to people and get the support that you need because it, it wasn't until i started really sort of talking about it either that actually there are other people going through this i don't think i've ever met anyone else who's got scleritis yet but maybe I'll, i will do one day um but yeah it's just you know even talking to to yourself joel it's it's so nice to know that i wasn't on my own actually as, growing up as a child even though i really really thought i was and never spoke about it but actually now yep let's talk about it and let's see how we can make things different and make things things better for people so they don't have to go through what we did so and i, I was thinking <laughs> Yeah, he can. And, and let's say a lot of positives have come out the last year or two of all the challenges. But I always think the benchmark that I, I sort of look back as I happened to, I, I grew up in a, a town, there's probably only 2000 people lived there or, or whatever number. And there was actually another kid that was only a couple of years younger than me that had JIA. We had the same doctors, we went to the same appointments. And at no point did anyone put two together to support each other it's just mad and I, and I look back I look at where we are today and with all the social media and we've actually reconnected on Facebook and you know she was a massive support for me last year when I was struggling and um, yeah I just think to myself how was that a situation you know that you, you even when they were literally on each other's doorsteps there wasn't a support group or network for anyone um, so so I think yeah it's been really pleasing how far we've come with Jay and, and the stuff you're doing is incredible. Is there, is there any other, just to give you a window of an opportunity, is there, is there any sort of projects or um, work going on at the moment that you, you'd like to share or tell people? I know you're work? literally working on hundreds. But... Is there any work going on? Oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> no, there is quite a lot, I must admit. Um, yeah, I did actually have to kind of, I was prepping a bit, little bit before I said, oh my gosh, there's loads. Just just a, a few, obviously I've mentioned some of the groups. Um, we do have a JA membership launching um, soon. I don't quite know when, but it's kind of, I've made sure that, you know, we have a, a magazine specifically for JA and it's not just for children with JA, it is for all ages um there'll be articles in there i think joel you've done an article for us as well which was absolutely amazing the our young voices um have done articles as well so it's just trying and obviously updates on kind of medications and things like that as well and kind of what i'm doing at um at nras so that will be coming very very soon so please sign up for that it's only i think it's only about 17 pound a year so it's hardly any money um and you'll get monthly updates from me as well and there'll be sort of membership events as well so that's coming out soon um our young voices panel which i've mentioned they're going to be doing some more work on how we can help and, and give information out to adults and to adolescents with jia as well 
um because we know that that's a bit of a, a gap and it is it's a very tough time in life anyway um going through those sort of years but if you've got a long-term illness as well it can be quite tricky especially then how you navigate the health system and sort of you go to uni or you move jobs how you move your health care as well so that kind of information hopefully be coming out as well um we do have the wear purple um next year but i've actually made the week at, into a full-on awareness week um, we'll have the fundraising and we want so many more people just getting involved turning social media turning anything purple um for jaa and it's kind of raising the awareness that the fluctuating disease that it is um for employers for schools even for kind of friends and family knowing that actually one day you can be fine but the next you, you can be different even though you're on medication we do flare we do fluctuate it's part and parcel of the disease so we'll have that as well and hopefully some more zoom events as well i did two this year so hopefully a few more um next year we probably won't be doing face to face because who knows what's going to happen but yeah so they're kind of all in the pipeline and i'm working with other charities as well um looking at kind of the services uh, each sort of uh, rheumatology unit or paediatric rheumatology units and kind of looking more kind of maybe sort of not on the mental health side um, and how we can help um, with that side as well so that there is many things going on um, but you know please do get in touch if I can help support in any way um, or if NRAS can as well you know please just do get in touch with us um, my email is debbiew at nras.org.uk um, yeah, or visit our websites. You know, there is so much information out there um, and we are here to help and support you and kind of give you the right information at the right time. So, yeah, get in touch. Yeah. You're doing amazing things. <laughs> you really are. I don't, know how you, you. don't know how you fit it all in. And I, I could literally sit and pick your brain for hours, but I'm I'm well aware of how busy you are and I've, I've kept you for an hour. So I'll, I'll probably let you That's go fine. at that point. But, but thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you for everything you're doing for the community. Thank you for being so accessible as well. And, no um, problem. And yeah, I'd love to have you back, but but please, when you've got a little bit more time, I don't want to add to your, <laughs> your workload. No, it's an absolute <laughs> pleasure. It really is. Anytime, you know, I'm happy to talk. So yeah, maybe next time a more specific project that we could work on together. Yeah, that'd be it? great. That'd be and and it'd be good to have you back as well next year for the um for the awareness week as well. That'd, that'd be good. Definitely, yes, I'll be there thank you ever so much for joining me debbie if you've enjoyed this podcast please subscribe and leave us a review wherever it is that you follow and you can find more episodes and information at joel thank you very much for listening